the shore where the mountains meet the sea in a clapboard shack by a broken down tree. There's a light in the window, just salty gals inside. I'm not sure if they're witches, but you know that's implied. Got the storytelling, ego swelling, pillow talking, moonlight walking, sea hags. Welcome to the Sea Hags podcast. My name is Katie Nordgren. And I am Chris Jeppa, and with us today is a a uh, former coworker of mine, an overdose prevention educator, and a real badass. It's Lana Fox. Hi. 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 <laughs> Hello. We're uh, here. Yeah. We. Uh, oh yeah. We forgot to say that sometimes we just start with a little check in yeah. as well. Um, how was your week, Katie? Uh, bathed the snake. Uh, that was pretty cool. Sounds like That's, a euphemism for it something. It is not at all a euphemism. I was uh, talking about that downstairs earlier, but uh, yeah, my wife and I got a snake a few weeks ago, and she was immediately going into a shed. Which sounds like again like a euphemism for something like that, but yeah, no, her skin her skin has to come off. Uh, so, and that was not happening very easily. So we had to put her in a tub, and she didn't like it. She fought us tooth and nail, except thankfully did not bite us. So I was gonna say like yeah. fighting a snake with teeth doesn't. Yeah, sound no right nails, to... and she didn't use any teeth. She pretty much just used her, used her strong, long, muscular body to wiggle around and try to get out of the tub. And we just kept sort of duping her back in there. And she was like, "Fuck!" Every time, like, "Oh, goddamn it!" I almost. <laughs> Almost made it out. She's real intrepid that way. That's but, very uh, cute. Yeah, no, and we also, we fed her last night, which uh, I did not help, but uh, I, I sort of looked into the dark bathroom while she was in her feeding tank, like, seeing the shadow of the dead mouse on the bottom of her cage, or her enclosure. That EDM so artist? Like, yeah, dead mouse. <laughs> so I uh, I was like, oh, 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 she's not doing it. And then we went back an hour later, and it was gone, and she was real peaceful looking and a little bit fatter. So we're like, oh, thank God she ate, because normally it's really hard to get bell pythons to eat. So her skin's coming off, and she ate a mouse, so that's go- all good in snake town. <laughs> snake world is, is going well, which, yeah, no, it's actually really neat having one in the house. I didn't yeah. realize how involved I would want to get. Turns out she's rad, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, you had a great picture of her, like, wrapped around your neck, just like, uh-oh, let's see how far we can let this go. Yeah, exactly. She's, uh, she's real strong. She's a big girl. Yeah. So. Sappo. Awesome. The gayest <laughs> snake name we could give her. She actually mostly came with the name, so. And if this wasn't a podcast, Katie did a snake dance earlier in the kitchen, which was really great. <laughs> you can picture it. It's pretty much what Axl Rose does on stage, but with less grace and dignity when I do it. <laughs> Yeah, my week has been a little, like, hard. A lot of my, like, self-care methods went out the window, like, right at the beginning of the week, and I just never recouped. Uh-oh. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of reserves to, like, do my job very well and, like, not cry all the time. Oh, no. <laughs> I was just feeling a little bit stressed out. But uh, Katie made me some magic potions and yeah. stuff. Yeah, potions and lotions mm-hmm. and things. I need to, like... It's my acupuncturist says that I need to just, like, work on letting go, you know? <laughs> like, so I was, like, lying there. I got all my, like, needles in and just, like, they were really sore this time. And just, like, going through a lot of cycles of just, like, ow, 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 and then falling asleep. And then, like, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Which is, like, yeah, you need to work on letting go. So Katie made me, like, a little talisman out of her snake skin. Yeah. Like, that. Just let that old shit go. Mm-hmm. Get rid of that old shit. Yeah, I kind of I kind of feel like I still got like 2016 vibes happening, and I need to break on through to like 2017. Yeah, which is like 20 serpentine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is like 2017 vibes have to be like we're badass and we're resilient and we're yeah. like pushing through. Ever borrowing pew, from pew, the McElroys, yeah. just zagging on them. Yeah, just zag so. on the expectations people have of you. 
I'm doing the snake dance again. <laughs> oh man, have you had a pretty okay week so far, Lena? Or just I had a similar week where I went to school Thursday, Friday, Saturday of the weekend. So my weekend was only <sighs> Sunday, which was just all housework. And then going into the week, it was uh, it was a tough one. Mm-hmm. It was like you need the the couple of days just to recoup and like not do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel yeah. like today I just wanted to have like a recoup day, except then it fucking snowed again. So yep. then we had to shovel the walk. Ugh. Um, well, I did, <laughs> and I watched, and then did the dishes. He's like, "Good job, sweetie." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then a few friends of mine are having some hard days, so I might have to go do some help. Aww. around the neighborhood. I'm lucky that a lot of my close friends live close by, so they're just like, I'm struggling. I'm like, can I come wash your dishes? Uh, so, see, that's we'll like see. the that's the easiest way for me to help people is to mm-hmm. wash their dishes for them. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's not hard for people to like us if we're washing their dishes. <laughs> it's the, the hard thing right now is like, there's a few folks that are a little bit stubborn to receiving some help, and then I also see this in myself. I'm very stubborn. <laughs> and so like, I kind of need to, like, insist with people a little bit where it's like, okay, you're not answering my phone, like, my calls or my texts, so I'm going to check in with you again in an hour. I'm just going to keep being persistent. I'm going to fucking help you. (laughs) (laughs) Let me love you. (laughs) But it's like, you can tell me to go away or just, like, let me come and do the thing, basically. And don't feel bad about, like, you're not asking for help. I'm offering. Yeah. You know, so, and I've been feeling a little bit like, I wish some people would do that for me because I'm feeling very stubborn and, like, wanting some emotional support from friends, and then they're kind of like, oh, Chris is good, like, she seems okay, you know, she said, like, let's hang out, and she said no one time, so they're like, oh, I guess it's fine, and I'm like, no, I kind of want you guys to insist a little bit. (laughs) I feel like I need to send out another, like, group text being like, hey, I still need some friendship. (laughs) So... It's good. It's a good thing to ask for, and it's hard to ask for. I know. I'm stubborn. Yeah. My one friend, Ari, said, you know, like, when you're when you need some help, I know that you're not gonna want to call me, and I require that you do as like a token of our friendship. And I will not be happy with you if you don't. So like, <laughs> I still want to be friends. So you must reach out to me for help and hangouts. And I'm like, fine, I guess I will, because <laughs> I kind of want it. So yeah, yeah. He's also kind of a magic man. So maybe I just need like to just dive deep into like some shaman shit <laughs> and, and right try now. to understand. What? That he's a magic man. (laughs) Heart. I feel like I said that last time, too. Just every time you call him magic man, I'm just like, try to understand. I want to cover that for New Year's. It's a hard fucking song to sing, Chris. Do you do that for karaoke? Never. I've never done a heart song. They're so challenging. Mm -hmm. I'd love to do Barracuda. That was, oh yeah, easy one, too. No. (laughs) She's such a good singer. Yeah. Not to say that any of us are not, just that none of us are Anne or Nancy Wilson. No. No. As much as I want to be. I don't know. Want to shred on that get- guitar? Yeah. Yeah. I would like to. <laughs> That's my fingers. Yes. Anyway. For the cello. It's good. I had a jam last night, which was nice. Did you? Yeah. Had some people over, played some music. Right on. Um, a random man showed up with a lap steel guitar, which was really cool. Just a completely random man? Well, a friend of a friend street. of our roommates. Oh, okay. Uh, who was just like a random coworker of his, and it's like, apparently he likes to play music. And he showed up with a lap steel. It was so cool. Like, he was cool. like, I broke my hand. Oh, shit. So he got someone to, like, fashion him a really cool, like, slide thing that, like, fits onto his cast so he can play the lap steel. Isn't that wow. so cool? That's and so He's cool. like, normally I play guitar. So once I broke my hand, I just, like, learned how to play lap steel instead. 
coming in like, is it Jeff Healy who played Lab Steel, the blind guy who's yeah. in Roadhouse? Yeah. Just like really scrolling back here. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, help me out. Are you IMDB? Do you guys know if Jeff Healy was in Roadhouse? <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not going to Google it, and nobody email us. About Never it. tell us. <laughs> I'm pouring Never some echinacea tea. Yay! Because I got the snifflies. And then we have some Hives for Humanity. The local beekeepers. This is the Strathcona honey. Do they make they build hives for impoverished bees? <laughs> well, bees are struggling right now, Katie. I'm sure you're aware. I am. But <laughs> so, they told me. No, I think they donate profits to local organizations. I know they employ a lot of folks like in the downtown east side to like help with beekeeping. Sweet. Which is neat. And they're so they have a few hives like on buildings of SROs, like on the roofs. Neat. Which is neat. And then this one is like I think from the Strathcona Community Garden. And I've got one that's like a Delta honey, and Ooh. there's like an actual like downtown east side honey, and it's just cool. like from the flowers that they grow in different places, and they all look so different, which mm. is really neat. It tastes like the clovers behind the Model Express. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Call back to Model Express. <laughs> a fine institution that we all know and love. Yes, it's the best. So I'm also oh, going to have some of this Thank business. you for this tea. You're welcome. And yeah, Lenny said you didn't want any tea because you were like, I need coffee so bad. Got your <laughs> yeah. own. Yeah. Yeah. Self sufficient guest. <laughs> well, tell us. Tell yeah. us, Lana. Tell us about yourself. Well, we, we invited you on sort of specifically because we used to work together um, at Portland Hotel Society. Technically, I'm still employed by them, but I'm on leave. Until after the provincial election, because you never know what might happen if I lose my job because my boss loses an election. That would be the worst. That would suck. (laughs) I would be very sad about that. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. (laughs) Yeah. We went to her nomination ceremony was yesterday, and she had, like, this amazing speech, and, like, she just was like, I promised I wouldn't cry, and, like, immediately started crying. (laughs) It was so great. Who did you promise you wouldn't cry, Melanie? Myself? (laughs) Yourself? Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, it's good. So, anyway, she's gonna win. It's gonna be great. Um, but so Lena, you and I were coworkers and I remember you being like, just like one of the like most ferociously kind people, like, like you're kind of, you do that insistent love and care for some of our clients, I think, where it's just like, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to let me. (laughs) And so that is a quality that I admire in you very much. Um, but we were going to talk, you've like have since moved on or in addition to PHS stuff, uh, you're doing like overdose response education. Can you tell me a bit about what that So it was sort of born of, I'm an EMR and a Red Cross first aid instructor. Right. And I started off a relationship with Vancouver Coastal Health, educating the overdose response team out of Vandu. And we were doing classes for Vandu on first aid. And through a bunch of emails and conversations, I sort of led them to agree with me that teaching while it's great to teach full first aid courses to anybody that can, not necessarily responding to choking is applicable in the circumstance. Mm-hmm. I thought that we could funnel the money for the funding into educating more people by teaching classes specific to overdose response. So my current position is a Portland Hotel Society, Vancouver Coastal Health, sort of straddling the line between the two mm-hmm. in coordinating five overdose prevention sites. So three of them wow. are PHS. Oh, one is Vandu and one is the Living Room, Powell Street Getaway, right. Lookout Society. Cool. Okay, yeah. so this was like in response to the fentanyl crisis. Yeah. The provincial government uh, basically like put in a bunch of funding for a few different overdose response sites. And so some of them 
I believe were like already kind of operating as like supervised injection sites, but not really legally. <laughs> it was more like peer support kind of thing. Yeah, so there was the rogue operation that was spearheaded by Sarah Blythe and Anne Livingston that was operating out of a tent behind the downtown east side street market. And then they opened up another tent in the back alley behind Insight because that was a place of really high incidence of overdose. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just peers who were willing to help their community for really sandwich money it was just a a stipend a very low paying Mm -hmm. stipend and it was all done through sarah gofundme site so people were donating to gofundme and they were paying peers 30 dollars for four hour shifts i believe it was Mm -hmm. um to or maybe 40 for four hour shifts just to stand and respond to overdoses which is like such a super intense thing to do like this is basically like sarah said like you know, Insight is the supervised injection site in Vancouver, and it was like it was full. The lineups were, and people were just not using it because it was so overutilized. Right. And so people would just be using in back alleys and be overdosing. And she was like, "This is a crisis. Like, I can't just sit by, and I'm so I'm gonna start this like right. thing and basically try to shame the provincial government into action, which worked, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. So they finally did like give some funding and like gave them like a trailer so they didn't have to use a tent and be outside and right. be warm. Wow. And stuff like that. And this past week they got uh, electricity, which gave them heat. They've oh. been working in their trailer. Oh, great. With, you know, very low lights, no heat. So these, you know, through this crazy winter we've had in Vancouver. Which is like the most unseasonably fucking freezing. (laughs) Yeah, they still have, that site still has six spots inside, five spots inside, and seven or eight spots outside. And people will still, they're full all day long. People, you know, just because they want to say stay stay safe, Mm -hmm. they come in and they inject there so that... If something happens, they've got someone watching over them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to go back because you, you guys were talking about Vandu, and I'm oh, not yeah. sure everybody necessarily knows what that is. Uh, is the is the Vancouver Union like drug users union? It's or... the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. Right. Oh wow. So it's a whole acronym, every single letter. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Well, it, it's just like something I don't know a lot about, but it's something that I learned like a little bit about while I was in school because I mean I did sort of a sociology degree, at least an aspect of that, and. Uh, that was brought up in really favorable terms and and sort of expressed how uh, community emerges in in areas where like people who live in privilege would not expect it to necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you if you could speak to that at all. Like the, the you're talking about people working for sandwich money to look after their peers, basically. And I think that's been the most encouraging thing that's come out of this overdose crisis is the way the community has stepped up. So the trailer is virtually all peers run. They do have some volunteers that come in. Um, There's a nurse who runs an organization that does emergency response and overdose for large festivals. So the karmic volunteers have been a really big presence in that site. Because they they do like Like big rambalons. Yeah, like parties and stuff like that. Yeah, Uh, Burn in the forest. I know my friend was trying to organize like an overdose response team for that as well. Like. And yeah. safe spaces, too, mm-hmm. when people are tripping too hard and need to get away and just go and, like, sit on a couch under a blanket with some nice lights. That's, yeah. I think, part <laughs> of it, like too. A good time. <laughs> Emotional first aid. Sure. You know, for when people need yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most of the sites, with the exception of the lookout site, which has nursing care, most of the sites are just run by a staff person, 
um, which is only one of them, but primarily just by community members who are losing their friends at yeah. alarming rates yeah. and are, you know, really just want to participate in the care of the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when, um, so the Drug Users Resource Center was another, like, sort of drop-in center, which I think now has sadly lost its funding, but they're still operating as an overdose prevention yeah. site or something like that. Yeah. Um, but they started doing training for first aid and, like, how to use Narcan and do overdose response, and wow. they were inundated with people that wanted to learn like every single person wanted to learn how to use that medicine and to do the proper like CPR response and everything because it's just like look we're doing this like we've got we've all got friends and loved ones that like might need some help sometimes Mm -hmm. you never know where you're gonna be right you know so a lot of folks I know like would choose not to use a supervised injection site just because they don't like being out in public and that kind of stuff and so they would use at home and it's, like, not super safe to be by yourself. So no. people would, like, come together and, like, you know, use the buddy system yeah. no, <laughs> and be able to amazing. help each other. So it's really heartening just how many people were just like, okay, no, I want to learn, like, so voracious for the knowledge like right. to be able to do that. Wow. So, yeah. And also on sort of a renegade level, <laughs> mm-hmm. the Atira buildings and Portland Hotel Society buildings mm-hmm. that have a lot, a real high incidence of overdose have opened up consumption spaces within the buildings to say you know come down to this public space so that if something happens I'm here and you're not in your room or just really opening up that conversation with people do you want me to come and check with you Mm -hmm. in five minutes and make sure that you're okay yeah so that's something else that's really come out of this Mm -hmm. yeah I just think it's really like, it's so sad and it's so scary that people are still, like, dying a lot, yeah. you know, and just, like, that these drugs now are cut with just, like, the worst, most potent shit right. mm-hmm. ever. And so when someone's in the throes of their addiction that it's really hard to kick, you know, then it's like, well, I guess I'm just going to use whatever I can get, you know, and just hopefully I can do it in the safest way possible yeah. so that I don't die, which yeah. is really, yeah, I don't know. There's been... Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the more I think about, like, harm reduction as a principle and stuff, the more I think, like, it's ridiculous that the government isn't stepping in and just providing pure heroin. Hey, that would be a great solution. <laughs> yeah, like, because I'm, I'm just thinking, like, just fentanyl in general, we in Vancouver have obviously conceptualized it, like, as a culture, uh, as, like, a DTE, like, a downtown east side problem um, and something that people in poverty are, are dealing with. But, I mean, it's, like, it's happening to a lot of people of all classes. Like, that's how Prince died, mm-hmm. uh, was a fentanyl overdose. That's how Pat Oswalt's wife Michelle died was partly because of a fentanyl overdose. I didn't know that. Yeah, it just came out, like, this last week. I was like, how did she even have fentanyl in her system, right? Like, it's crazy. That's so sad. But, like, it's so prevalent, right? And and people just assume, like, oh, that's, you know, it's the dregs or something like that. Like, like, it's just so easy to just push that aside. Or only hardcore drug users get it, but it's, like... It's cut into cocaine, and so, like, oh, yeah. a weekend warrior-type person might, like, get a bad batch of something. Like, oh, yeah. We were super worried about that for our New Year's party, so we, like, had a naloxone kit just in case, and, like, luckily everyone was pretty chill and just, like, drank the tequila that I provided instead, which is my, my harm reduction tequila. <laughs> harm yeah. reduction tequila, and thank God nobody was doing cocaine at that party. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a fun party for me if people in, are. In my job, like, doing, like, provincial government-level 
sort of advocacy and policy work, we wrote to the health minister and we put together a whole bunch of facts and we're trying to like raise some awareness that it's not just a downtown east side problem. Right. And so I had to read all these reports, right? And it's like the highest incidence of fentanyl overdoses is on Vancouver Island. And then the second highest is in the Fraser Health region, so Surrey and Abbotsford, and wow. then downtown east side. She so was... it's like not actually like just concentrated. It's just that it's so Maybe just so much more visible. Oh, there's some emergency responders right now. <laughs> Hopefully they're doing good stuff. <laughs> uh, but it just feels like it's so much more visible, I guess, in the downtown east side is like, everyone's using these overdose sites and it's super full and there's tons of people, but I don't know, like, is it better when things are like out in the open as opposed to like, just like hidden away in the suburbs? Like... I think I know the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, the answer is probably, yeah, it's, it's better if we're aware of it. Like, we do something about it. Mm-hmm. Well, in the corner, there's been so many deaths that the corner mm-hmm. can't keep up. So we don't even know the cause of many of the deaths that happened last year because mm-hmm. they really can't even keep up with the testing and knowing the right. cause of death. Mm-hmm. There's an assumed cause of death. But like you're saying, a lot of those, you know, apartment in North Vancouver death we may not know mm-hmm. for until they get that chance to get caught up if it was a cardiac if it was mm-hmm. a you know insulin issue mm-hmm. anything like that it could be any of the number of those things mm-hmm. oh that's yeah. intense it's so yeah I and mean, it would just be so easy to solve by <laughs> you know yeah so it's like we're we're trying to call on like the the provincial health minister like there are a few things that you can do sort of right now to help And then there's a few things that you need to look into long-term policy. And it's like right now there's like this sort of gap in services. They like put this huge like emergency medical unit in the downtown east side, which is this weird, like it's a huge van that like doesn't really get used a lot. We're researching like it does get sent to like some communities if there's like a natural disaster or something. And they set up like a little field hospital, but they've like parked it in the downtown east side now. And apparently, I don't know if you know, like do people use it often or like, do you know anything about that I think that it hasn't really gained traction Mm -hmm. yet and that the intention for having it there is really good because Mm -hmm. it was a point for the ambulance attendants to take overdose people to right instead um, of taking instead of going to the hospitals which were just parking people in the hallways and overflowing Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of particularly downtown east side users really have such a bad experience particularly with St. Paul's Hospital Mm -hmm. they'll you know, asked to go to VGH because they're treated a little better. Um, but they just didn't want to, you know, they would choose to not go there. Whereas this MMU, their mobile medical unit, they're within their own community. They can still walk home after they leave. Mm -hmm. They also have, um, replacement therapies that you can get on site there. Oh, so you can access Suboxone, Methadose. Um, they do have some other services within the MMU that oh, that's people really cool. can access if they choose to. But it does have a weird vibe, like a security guard at the door, mm-hmm. and it's not a place that you feel comfortable just walking up to. Mm-hmm. So people are using still more like the peer-run sites, because it doesn't have the same sort of stigma, maybe, or like the same like institutionalization. Like paternalistic yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Just yeah. like, oh, sad little drug user has to come use drugs better, you know, get <laughs> stared down by a security guard. Yeah. Like, that seems to be what the vibe is almost. And I think that, in my opinion, if aside from the doctors and nurses that are working there, if it was staffed by mental health workers who have experience in the community, yeah, it would feel more welcoming mm-hmm. 
rather than that security guard type presence Mm -hmm. there. But I think one of the things like that mobile medical unit is still closed in the morning, I think 3 a.m. till 9 a.m. or something like that, which is the same time that Insight is closed, except for sometimes it's open 24 hours. But like there's this gap and people are still using in that time. It's like the dead of night, basically like the most sort of vulnerable time almost that like, so we're like change the hours so that there's like an overlap yeah. Maybe or something. That would be a great solution to do like instantly and I don't think like they still haven't done that yet and like yes. but a big thing definitely like treatment on demand would be great or like replacement therapies on demand. So it sounds good that they're like able to prescribe Suboxone which really helps a lot of people like deal with withdrawal symptoms. Um but like yeah, man, prescription heroin would be so good. <laughs> Yeah. It would be so good. You could actually regulate like what was in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just makes me feel pretty like fired up. I don't know. <laughs> and the bottom line is the science is already there. Mm-hmm. The Salome trials, the Naomi trials, they have already shown that giving a user who has been long time addicted mm-hmm. to opiate substances, giving them a clean source and attention with along with that, it has facilitated sort of this reemergence of their personality mm-hmm. that's not so needs, you know, opiate seeking based. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I, now I could get a, a job and work and or I could care for my children again mm-hmm. or, you know, just the things and the science is there. It's whether Terry Lake talks about, well, we don't know if we could sell it to the public opinion. Well, what is our, you know, what's the balance? Do we care more about the public opinion? Or human he, lives. Or yeah. human lives. For him... It's the public opinion. Yeah, which is really frustrating. It's right before an election. It's like, how about take a stance instead and maybe save some people? Yeah. Rather than just like, oh, we don't know. Maybe people will be upset. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to get on it too much because I'll get really angry and probably yeah. start to cry. But I just like the people who, who, who are just like uh, so dismissive of people who have problems mm-hmm. like or who have had trauma and who are dealing with it mm-hmm. through addiction, basically, mm-hmm. like like seeking drugs to calm the things that are inside, right? Like, it's not like people, oh, I'm going to get fucked up because it feels cool. It's like, no, I'm going to get fucked up because I forget about, like, the horrible things that happened to me in my childhood yeah. and being bounced around to foster home to foster home and stuff. Like, the the, the lack of empathy that people have. Like, mm-hmm. when they ca- say, like, no, we need to come down hard on drugs. We need to not support this we kind of stuff. We need to arrest people and yeah. not enable them. Like, yeah, we put need... them in jail, close the insight. Like, people phone our office and say we need to round up all those drug addicts and put them into camps and force detox. Like, people phone and ask our... Like, we need, you need to do this on a provincial level. Like, basically, we're like, that sounds like a concentration camp, sir. Um, that sounds very um, illegal. Yeah. like The comments that's... section coming to you instead of you going to the comments I know. It's Have you said great. that to, to people who've said that? You said what you've described is a concentration camp? I did camp? say that, yeah. And what did they say? They, they were just like, well, uh, 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 like <laughs> What you've just described is a concentration camp. Yeah. God. Yeah. And Ugh. so they're like the conversations that we're trying to have with people now is like, we do agree with you on this level and this level. Like usually people call and they're like, we can't keep treating our paramedics and our like firefighters and all of our first responders. Like they're getting so burnt out from this crisis. Like we should not force them to revive these people basically. What? Yeah. And so that's awful, but it's like, okay, well, so we agree with you that there does need to be more support for frontline first responders. Like, having more of them would be great. I don't think they'll feel better if their patients die. Well, yeah, exactly. (sighs) 
So, like, that's not the answer, but it's like, we fundamentally disagree with you on your other three points. Uh, thank you very much. Your opinion has been noted. Click. <laughs> like... Go and crawl up your own ass, Because it doesn't please. really feel like a teachable moment at that time when someone's calling you with that kind of extreme opinion. Like, I want to talk a lot about, like, the background of, like, you know, trauma, basically, and right. how that feeds into addiction, but it doesn't feel like that's the most opportune time to do it. So, like, I don't know. In your job, do you find that you're doing a lot of teaching around that kind of piece, or is it that you're already teaching overdose response to folks that are really invested in it so they don't really need the background? <laughs> I think that because most of my time is spent in the community and uh -huh. I surround myself with community and friends that care and already know that I don't have to humanize a drug user to yeah. the people that I'm around. It <laughs> sounds so absurd when you say it like that, but you have to sometimes. Well, I called out a lady in the grocery store the other day because she was moving back to the States as, you know, in her career, it wasn't taking off the cost of living in Vancouver. And I was just behind her in the line. So I just listened. But then she was just like, and I'm sick of all of the junkies and the uh, and going off. And I was like, you have a really high opinion of yourself. Why do you have to use such dehumanizing language? Wow. These are people. People. Yeah. yeah. You know, fathers, daughters. Mm -hmm. They're human beings. Yeah. And you don't get it. And then she went off on me. And I'm sick of people like you. Like, wow. Busybody, yeah. like PC fucking whatever. Like. Totally. It's oh. like, well, good riddance to bad rubbish. Have a nice <laughs> time back wherever you're going to go that this doesn't exist. Right. So. The states deserves you, you like human trash fire. <laughs> Go live in Mike Pence's garage or something. <laughs> oh god, yeah, that's dist that's distressing. Yeah. That's really rough. Um, yeah. <sighs> yeah, just gonna breathe that out a little bit. Just, yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I like the answer is definitely like we just need to legalize, like make it medicine. Yeah, and then help you know, get people away from, like, I don't know, when they're in the throes of their addiction, like, folks that I've worked with, right, that are just in survival mode, and that's, like, they're just waiting to see, like, when can I get the next fix, because I don't know if I'm going to be able to, like, keep the pain at bay for long enough, you know, and then I've seen the amazing turnaround that people will have when they actually start on this program, that they're just getting regular medicine. It's, like, you have... A lot of people actually have, like, literal physical pain, like, their back is fucked and they're, like, older and their right. hips or whatever, and so they actually use heroin to, like, medicate physical pain. Sure. And so you would prescribe a painkiller to somebody with chronic pain, but unfortunately it's, like, very stigmatized in certain communities sure. and you won't get that prescription. But, like, why can we also not value the emotional pain yeah. that people have, too, and treat it the same way? Like you know, we take medicine for, like, our mental health issues, so why can't other people as well? A dependent life is mm -hmm. a, still a life worth living, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the fact that we sort of, like, community-wide and culturally don't necessarily believe that, that's that's very upsetting to me, the fact mm -hmm. that, like, people are like, well, you know, what's the point if you're addicted? Like, well, you're alive. Like, you're alive. Mm -hmm. So what's the, like, so if you get cancer and it's not treatable, you should just be shot or something? Like, is that what they think? Because that's going to, there's going to be a lot of medicine involved in that. There's going to be a lot of upkeep involved in that. Mm -hmm. And maybe they smoked themselves into that cancer. Should we not treat them? Like, mm -hmm. absolutely we should. We should have empathy for everybody no matter what situation they got into. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Stomp. <laughs> that's what I think. <laughs> if only I could be supreme dictator. Yeah. Wouldn't that be good? 
Yeah. Like, yes. Probably be fine, actually. <laughs> I think, I think, I think right. the, a society under your rule would be quite chill. It would be a just society, for sure. <laughs> Everyone just, like, smoking weed and eating snacks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all the men chained by their balls. To, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm so kidding. I just think that that's what people probably think I would want. <laughs> sort of want it. You know? <laughs> they can grind the flower in our mill in Utopia, you know? It's fine. Anyway. I read a book like that once. I think it was called The Gate to Women's Country or something like that. And they like would like... That sounds like a vagina, what the, you've just described. The Gate to Women's Country. Hmm. <laughs> but so yeah, write a romance novel. Basically, they, they're just like... The men were forcibly enslaved and like were made to be into like breeding machines, basically. Didn't seem very nice for anybody. No. Like, I def- definitely <laughs> value people's autonomy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> like, consent and stuff. It's good. It's yeah. important. Yeah, so... Um, I wanted to ask you some more tangible questions, Lana, just, like, around some of the updated CPR stuff, or, I don't know. So So we talk about CPR, Mm -hmm. um, and this is really the missing piece with the naloxone training, Mm -hmm. is that everyone sees naloxone as the magic bullet, whereas really what the magic bullet is, because what shuts down in your brain when you're doing opiates and you're overdosing is your respiratory system and your brain's desire to breathe. And so before we're even giving naloxone, we're seeing if opening the airway will, you know, sort of give spontaneous breath or Mm -hmm. helping the person breathe. And that's sort of missing in a lot of what people are retaining from the treat or Mm -hmm. from the teaching in that if you're not, if you're just giving dose after dose after dose, of naloxone, you may reverse the overdose. Mm-hmm. But what's happening in that time while the brain doesn't have oxygen is that the brain cells are dying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the cells at the ends of your fingers may be dying too, but not quite as important. If you're not firing and if you're overdosing multiple times and going without oxygen for multiple mm-hmm. times, and it's what we're seeing, eventually people are getting to the point where raising a spoon to their mouth becomes difficult because they have mm-hmm. lost so much of their brain's capacity that they've just <sighs> gone down to, you know, you were talking earlier about the drug seeking and that need mm-hmm. to do that. That's just your reptile brain saying, what do I need to survive? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't care about whether you've eaten or whether you got exercise or nourishing your mind. It only cares about surviving mm-hmm. and... So you just get to the point where there is nothing left of the brain beyond wow. surviving. So like just you're you're seeing like major major sort of brain damage coming out of this like opiate crisis as like a side effect. I'm yeah. seeing it personally with people that I yeah. have relationships to, wow. but the medical community is also seeing it, you know, where we've just got an overload of people who are addicted, physically addicted to mm-hmm. drugs and emotionally addicted as well but also not able to take care of themselves in a way that they may have been able to three or four overdoses ago wow holy shit that's super intense so like the most important thing that you want people to take away from your trainings is like remember about the oxygen so like right away before you even i would imagine like people get into the like I'm going to learn how to use a naloxone kit, right? So it's got a needle and it's got like a vial that you crack open and like getting like practice with that and muscle memory so you can respond. But then they maybe forget about the actual breathing part before that. Yeah. Intense. <laughs> and that would be, you know, in every 
Narcan kit, there's a barrier device. So before you even think about unwrapping that syringe to load it up with the naloxone, you want to be giving a couple of breaths, you know, two breaths, unwrap the needle, another breath, you know, draw up the syringe, another breath, mm -hmm. give the first dose of naloxone, and then, you know, two minutes of breaths, one every five seconds, to give that Narcan time to work, mm -hmm. and then another dose. And sometimes you have to assist with breaths, like they'll start to breathe spontaneously, and then they'll go back under, and you give a breath, and they take a breath, and you give a breath, mm. talking to them the whole time, reminding them where they are. A lot of times they can hear you, mm -hmm. they just can't process, they can't respond. Wow. It seems like there's so much... I don't know. It's like the emotional labor that goes along with that as well. Keeping somebody alert and present and felt like feeling cared for in that situation. Like that I think is one of the things for me that's the most draining about emergency response for sure. Like I can do all the mechanical things, but it's the like really being present, like caring for somebody and trying to keep them calm and stuff like that is really, really hard. And that just comes with practice mm -hmm. when the response becomes the rote memory then it's easy, your own heart level rate's not going through the roof. Mm -hmm. You're able to direct the people around you mm -hmm. a little bit more. You know, go wait for the ambulance. They're going to be coming in through the alley. You know, block traffic for them. Let them know where we are. It just, you know, you're directing people, hey, can you stand back a little bit? Mm -hmm. um, often, if people who are also around when you're responding to an overdose sense that you're really, really nervous, then they get in and they create more chaos, which mm. is really in that situation what you don't want. Yeah. So you really, if you have that training, you can sort of take control of the scene a little bit better. And it's yeah. not even just training, it's mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so when I respond to an overdose now, it... When I first started responding to overdoses, it was at Insight in a very controlled environment mm -hmm. under clinical supervision, yeah. which is a really good place to get that sort of basis. But when you start responding to overdoses in uncontrolled circumstances, it takes a little while to mm -hmm. get the ground underneath you yeah. and to be able then to go on and share that information. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about CPR earlier, and when people aren't breathing giving chest compressions does not help them because you're spreading blood that doesn't have oxygen in it around and there's no reason to do that. Mm. If it, Especially in a witnessed overdose, and that's why the overdose response sites are so great because you see the person go down, you're right there mm -hmm. to attend to it immediately. And you know exactly what the cause of their passing out is as opposed to just coming across somebody on a park bench passed out. You don't know what happened it could have been a heart attack or exactly. something right yep and mm -hmm. the great thing about naloxone is even if that person had had a heart attack or was in a diabetic coma you're not going to hurt them with narcan mm -hmm. because there's not no part of using that narcan that is harmful um the most harmful thing about narcan is sending someone into withdrawal mm -hmm. because withdrawal is the worst flu you've ever had that comes on oh, immediately. God. And so that's why we encourage people to take time between the doses, because if you're just pumping them full of Narcan, you're 
throwing all of the opiates off the receptors and sending them immediately into the worst flu that you could possibly imagine. Ugh, that's cause a lot of discomfort and a lot of bad bad feelings like yeah, towards the responder sometimes like yeah. not it's not pretty really. rare to mm-hmm. narcan someone and have them come up humble <laughs> that's only happened once <laughs> um, usually they're really really mad because yeah. they you know they had to work for the money to buy that drug whether that was sex trade mm-hmm. uh, property theft um Whatever it was that they had to do, now they have to go and do that again. Mm-hmm. So from the harm reduction perspective, we're not trying to ruin their high. We're just trying to save their life. So if oh, we're, <laughs> if we're you know, leaving enough opiate in their body that when the Narcan wears off, that they can be high again, but not... So much that, that not be dying. Again. Yeah, then we've <laughs> done our job. distinction. Oh my yeah. god, <laughs> I actually didn't really think about that. Yeah, it's like you don't want to just kick somebody right out into withdrawal. They will not be happy with you. Yeah, well, I knew, like, I knew that part that it's like it must feel really bad, but to be like, oh yeah, now I have to go out and like hustle whatever my hustle is to like score again. To score again, yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah, I attended one. <laughs> The other day and you know after he is back breathing on his own you know I've got his head cradled in my lap and he's you fucking cut and I'm just like, that's the nicest thing I've heard every day because you weren't breathing 30 seconds yeah, ago so I'm glad Thank you have you. enough air to shout that at me oh it's so hard and you know he apologized after yeah but you know after he'd been around for a couple of minutes and the ambulance was there he was like I'm really sorry I'm like don't worry about it. <laughs> it wouldn't be Tuesday if nobody called me a fucking cunt. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, you must have to do a, have to have done a lot of work to develop resilience as doing the work you do. Mm-hmm. I think that I had to do a lot of self work when I realized that I wasn't resilient enough. Oh, okay. Um, I've been doing the critical instant stress management program at the Justice Institute. Okay. And responding, like, all trauma response stuff. And from that, I realized that I was not really well. And it sent me into a place where I was like, okay, what do I need to do to get well? Because hiding from my friends and crying while I'm watching TV every night is not doing that. So Mm -hmm. is that not healthy? (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of been my week. (laughs) It's my, my response to like all of the stress that we were under in the work was to leave the work like, and try to find like, where is a better place for me to like put my energy because I really was not functioning well. on like a really high stress situation basically and having that baseline of like really high stress level all the time was like breaking my body down a little bit and so I'm like I feel like I can be of better use like in more of like the policy and like whatever just because of my own background and like the way that I don't know so trying to you know Vicki Reynolds and all of her awesome workshops this woman who's like an amazing facilitator says like what is the best use of me like think about how you can be the most useful and you're still like, like I'm still contributing to this work and trying to help save like save people's lives, but trying to do that more through like policy advocacy, yeah, totally. <laughs> I guess. And like, cause I just wasn't doing well, 
And so, like, what are there some skills that you've been working on to, like, yeah, to develop that resiliency? Because my instinct was just like, okay, run away, leave it all. And I admire that people are still sticking in it, even though it's, like, gotten even exponentially harder than even when I was working there before. Like, I think that doing this work in my new position has really helped me a lot Mm -hmm. because now, again, like you, I feel like I'm doing something that utilizes my skill sets Mm -hmm. that I've, you know, developed over the last year and a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Just taking a bunch of different courses, knowing that while I think that being a janitor that gets yelled at all the time is a really great job, which is what being a mental health worker yeah. is in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to be able to contribute more, and mm-hmm. I saw a deficit in training of, you know, not only first aid skills, overdose response skills, but also wellness training and resilience building mm-hmm. through, you know, the number one thing that contributes to having stress reaction is not having the proper training and if people are just getting a first aid ticket but not having any scenarios run or not you know they don't know a fire plan for a building or you know very very simple things I think Mm -hmm. that it can really that's where those trauma mechanisms start to kick in and whether that's your physical your spiritual your worldview you start to like not feel well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Like people scoff whenever you're in a training seminar when it's like, okay, now it's role-playing time or whatever, but it's like, you do have to run through those things. Like it has to get into your muscle memory. It has to become like normal to be able to do that kind of response. Um, And then you just feel so much more confident and then you don't kick in those stress hormones quite as fast and, can sustain you that's a really really good point that's like when I was working with the union like doing occupational health and safety stuff um training was such a huge piece like we can't just throw people into situations and be like okay figure it out like that really does a lot of harm to people like training should be like constant basically like you should be getting lots of refreshers like running drills you know in your downtime like you don't need to always just like be sitting watching YouTube videos <laughs> and at work and crying, <laughs> but like actually doing some practice runs. Like if it's quiet, like, okay, let's work on doing some training stuff. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's important. <laughs> no, it is. And you mentioned normal. Mm-hmm. The other big aspect of that is really trying to show people that whatever stress response they're experiencing, whether they're gagging when they try to eat food having nightmares, Mm -hmm. whether they're having suicidal ideation, whatever that stress response, that that's normal, Mm -hmm. that there is not a stress response that is unique or new or unfixable. (laughs) And, you know, even when you get to the level of PTSD, Mm -hmm. that's not a life sentence. You can recover from that and it takes some work, Mm -hmm. um, but it's not... A forever thing and getting to people immediately after they experience a trauma and helping them get from the emotional back into the cognitives where they're looking forward you know you mm. think of driving a car and what it would be like to drive a car looking in the rearview mirror the whole time 
But if you can be like, no, you got to look, you know, what are you going to do when you get home? Who can you talk to? Who's going to listen to you, but not try to fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, huge. <laughs> drinking water is huge. I love all of the sciencey stuff about how your body produces c- cholesterol in like all of these stress hormones that come out. And that's how people are able to lift cars off of children and things like that. <laughs> but those things reside in your body. And if you're not you know, even going for a walk and drinking tons of water to flush that out, then it just settles. And you, that's why people who are in high stress situations seek stress because it feels uneasy to just mm. be chill. Oh man. Yep. That's real. <laughs> uh, called out. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's like, I definitely see, I see that a lot, just like when you're used to running on such a high level of like, okay, activity, we got to do all this stuff and and then you're just used to that. So then you keep doing that and keep repeating those patterns in like every various part of your life. Like that has been a lot of my work of like trying to get better and like feel more balanced is to just like chill and like be okay. Like just sitting uncomfortably, (laughs) you know, and real, it's like, it's fine. This will pass. You know, as opposed to trying to, like, totally soothe it away and whatever. Yeah, I've been trying to do less. Um, I'm a, I procrastinate productively. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a cleaner when I'm upset often. Uh, and it doesn't, like, it's it's not super healthy for me to do that all the time because I'm, I, like, just over-domestic everything. And it's just, a, it's kind of a waste of my downtime, right? Like, I'm, I'm supposed to be relaxing and chilling and, like, building up my reserves to go back and be a person again and that kind of stuff. So, I, uh... I've been trying to do that less lately, just mm-hmm. like do more of a half-ass job, which sounds funny, but that's like progress for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've discovered that I can nap now um, oh, and I can just like, I, I like to just sometimes lie down in my bed for an hour or so, just not even nap, but just like read a book or whatever. And just finding out like, where are you physically comfortable makes such a big difference. Cause normally like just being in my body is not a comfortable experience for me because like I'm on edge mm-hmm. stress like I'm ready for a stress receptor or I am a stress receptor and I'm ready to just like take in that information. So yeah, trying to unlearn that is, is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's worthwhile work, but it's, totally. it's a lot to do. Yeah. To I like out of those patterns. We joke sometimes about like self-care isn't just about like drink water, do yoga, but it's like those things are actually super helpful. Those things are a huge part of it. <laughs> but like the drinking water thing is so funny. Like there's I've got a reminder on my phone, I know other people that do as well, where it's just like, bing, drink some water, you know, or there's like a tiny care bot on Twitter that will like tweet at you, especially because like Twitter is a garbage fire right now, just (laughs) with like all the stuff happening in the world, and it will just pop up and be like, go outside for a bit, like, get away from your screen, for, and it'll just pop up in your Twitter feed, so while you're reading Twitter... Like, get the fuck out of there. (laughs) if you can't disengage, like, this little thing will pop up and be like, go drink some water, make a snack, like... It's pretty nice. You just made me drink some water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I like that it's, uh, you know, just knowing that that's a good thing, but then to actually have the science that kind of backs it up is always a fun yeah. aspect to be like, oh, yeah, there are, like, chemicals swirling around in your body that you can dilute out of yourself again. <laughs> well, and it's, if it's coming out in overwork or something like that, but it comes out in really negative ways like shoplifting or pursuing abusive relationships or... Yeah, so if, yeah, your stress response will come out in these, like, really counterproductive ways, and it's not great if you're, like, especially if you bottle it up for a long time, it'll just, like, explode at an inopportune moment. So. And what are we, you know, I don't know about anybody else in this room, but 
I didn't learn how to deal with stress mm -hmm. as a youth. You know, nobody taught me about mindfulness or taking deep breaths or, mm -hmm. you know, any of the tools that were given now to say, oh, now that you all have all this stress, here's the things that are going to save you. But where's you know, the prevention? Where is the prevention? And while we're teaching kids trigonometry, which does have practical, <laughs> you know, uses as life goes on, if they choose something that it does, you know, in terms of critical thought and stuff like that, yes. But where is the actual like life skill portion of our schooling? Mm -hmm. Big time. I, I used to have that at my school, and I understand that they've cut those programs since I graduated. That's I, amazing. I, I finished in 2003, and I had a life skills class with Mrs. Gautier, who uh, we did the flower sacks or the eggs or whatever with the, this is my baby. You know, you have to pretend it's your baby for a week or whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we did units on like dealing with depression and anxiety and stuff. And That's I think, really like me cool. and some of my friends, we wrote a song and sang it in front of the class. And Ooh. yeah, it was, <laughs> what? It <laughs> just sounds awful. It was very bad. I mean, it would 15. be awful as a teenager, yeah. We were 15, but I was like, yeah, no, it was kind of fun for me because I got to, like, sing in front of my class at age 15. People were like, oh, the nerd's a pretty good singer. <laughs> <laughs> but we did, like, we did, like, the balancing checkbooks and, like, mental health and, you know, how to run a house kind of stuff, mm. so. You're the but now first none of us will ever have houses. Ever told me that. Yeah, I've never really... I don't know. Sands Junior Secondary, when it was still a junior secondary, had a life skills class. That's pretty well, cool. That's what it's called, Life Skills 10. Bring it back. Or Family Studies, rather, I think is what it was called, which mm. was very interesting. Huh. It's learning those kinds of, like, yeah, coping things. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, I have a friend who has a teenager, and he was saying, like, he's just got this emotional intelligence that I think she's fostered in him because she's a very mindful person as well. And so he's just like, Mom, I have feelings and I don't know what to do with them and so they're like finding productive ways to channel those but like that he can identify those things is really impressive just that I have feelings and I don't know what to do with them yeah and like just I don't know I don't know what they that are he has feelings mm -hmm. yeah and then learning how to name those things and that yeah. that just that statement describes so much of my youth like just like I have feelings and I don't know what to do with them mm -hmm. but I couldn't I would never be able to say that it just like felt overwhelming mm-hmm I did not have language for it because yeah. growing up, it was very much like my parents love me and are very supportive, but they're like tough, tough guys. Yeah. The, t the wise guys, eh? You know, they, no, they're just <laughs> like, enough. just play through the pain. Like, oh, fucking tough it out. Mm -hmm. You go to, you, we don't do sick in this family kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm the cream puff. <laughs> I'm the cream puff in my family. Yeah. But thankfully I have a brother who's exactly like me. So that's okay. <laughs> We're what the cream is, puffs. So you're a parent. Do you have things that you work on with your kid about? how to deal with stress and emotions, like a regular practice of talking about these things or activities that you guys do together? Or is it more just like, I don't know, you're making a face, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I have a very, very strong-willed 11-year-old um, <laughs> who I have now negotiated into staying in jujitsu because oh. it's the only thing that, you know, she quit piano, she quit soccer, I've let her quit anything that she chose to mm -hmm. not do throughout her life but this one was something that the the discipline the sort of overview of respect that's mm. within jujitsu as well as the self-protection going forward into her teens it's like okay you know what i know you want to quit let's negotiate and 
I will reward you for staying in. So we had to, uh, we worked out, I don't pay her to do chores and I don't give her an allowance. So she, it's like, well, how am I going to make money? I'm like, well, that's your problem. Um, so we have, if she goes to two classes a week, she gets $5. If she goes to three, she gets 10 If she stays in till she's 13, I'll give her the equivalent of $20 a month. Mm. So when she's 13, she'll get $600. Holy crap. Um, which, you know, gives her a goal. I'm like, you may want to buy a computer by then. Well, mm-hmm. computers aren't $600. Well, if you make it till you're 13, I might kick in that extra 300 bucks <laughs> for a computer yeah. for you as well. But, That's you know, great. just to incentivize her doing that. But as well, not to... I don't believe in... You know, here's five dollars for doing the dishes twice a week. No, you eat. You have to do dishes. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with that for sure. She's really mad at me right now because I told her to clean out the fridge because I was bringing home groceries, and the only consequence of not doing what I want her to do that works with her is losing the internet, oh. um, losing the Netflix, losing the internet. Cause it's the only thing she cares that I, that I can take away from her that she cares about. So she's just like, you always threaten me. Oh my God. I, uh, I want to tell somebody else's story about this cause it's really similar. Uh, future guest Morgan Brayton. I, I did her TV show last week oh, yeah. and she was talking about her 13 year old son who is a very difficult and willful child as well. Uh, I think he's very smart. Uh, And he just only wants to play video games like Minecraft and watch playthroughs on YouTube or Let's Plays or whatever Mm -hmm. they're called when you watch other people play a video game, right? So that's that's all he wants to do. And they uh, keep... Like, he has an old computer that he gets to use, but he has to get uh, one of his moms to type in the password. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they do it on a, like, Bluetooth keyboard. So he'll bring the keyboard in from the kitchen while they're watching TV and they'll type in the password. And what this little shithead did was open a notebook like page and bring it out. Oh, can you type in the password? So they typed in the password and then he's got the password. (laughs) That's so smart. That's really smart. That's what I said. I was like, how are you even mad? That's genius. And she's like, yeah, but he's really stupid sometimes too. Like he doesn't cover his tracks at all when he does things wrong. It's like, so, oh, so not like when I was 15 and I stole vodka and put, like, water in, which my parents totally knew about. And they just never said anything about because they were like, whatever. You just thought you were being so sneaky and you and never was like, caught. oh, I knew you did that. Like, I totally knew you did that. You just never took enough for it to really be a problem. I figured you were just experimenting. I was like, damn it! <laughs> I can't upset you. <laughs> my mom told me a fun story of me being, like, a strong-willed little kid as well. And my mom is very sweet and kind of just kind of realized, like... I was just, like, following you, like, and you were five, and, like, you would, like, lead me by the hand and be like, no, mom, we have to go this way, and she'd just be like, okay. (laughs) I guess that's what we're doing now, then. And just, like, yeah, you couldn't really make me do a lot of stuff, (laughs) either. (laughs) I never, I didn't think I, I don't think I got an allowance, I don't remember. I was very manipulatable, Mm -hmm. whatever that word would be, I was a malleable child. I was any, any consequence. Like, sometimes I didn't do things because I just forgot, because obviously I don't care about unloading the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm 11. I don't care. <laughs> I just don't. Now I'm 32 and I care very much about whether or not the dishwasher is unloaded but or the dishes are done. But like, yeah, as a as a kid, like I would just forget because I didn't care. But if like my mom would lay down the threats and it would be done because I knew she would do it. And mm-hmm. I'm terrified of her. <laughs> so it's like a healthy fear of my mother. But I don't know if that's like super useful. Yeah. Well, maybe not so good now. Yeah. She's 
<laughs> I feel like the scales are starting to balance a little bit where mm-hmm. now I'm starting to be a little bit scared of Quinn. <laughs> and, you know, because she's so smart. And another the other night, Erica was over mm-hmm. and Quinn said something and Erica's like, well, you have to admit she got you there. And I was like, oh, I know. It's it's like, no, awful. you have to be on my side. <laughs> and then the day after tomorrow, she begins a four day. She was invited to take part in a four day debate school. Wow. And just her and one other person. You don't want her, her to school. get better at that, though, do you? I don't you? want her to get better. I was just like, I don't need you to build more solid arguments. This is crazy. That's awesome. That's going to serve her very well, though. Like, I'm sure she's going to be, like, an amazing adult. Like, she's a pretty amazing person already, but, like... I don't know. I just like all the things that I see on your Facebook where she's like self-initiating like good community activism and like all kind of, like she just seems really involved in like doing good for people and I don't know. It seems like some really nice values. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> is, she, is she born in 05 or 06 or? 05. Yeah. So she'll be 12 this year. Rotten Scorpio. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no, Scorpios are brats. <laughs> it's true. She's very like, mm, I'm a sexy brat. I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> not a sexy brat if you are underage that's gross (laughs) don't be that but like what do you feel like there's anything that you necessarily like were doing like mindfully as a parent to like build those skills for her to like it seems like she's got a lot of empathy and a lot of drive to like initiate like good things for others and sort of be of service is that just something that was her own innate personality almost or just like being around people that already did that or I think that Probably that was just modeled mm-hmm. after the person that I am mm-hmm. um, and what she saw and that this is how compassion, we treat people, yeah. yeah, compassion is really important and not looking at someone's physical experience, yeah. like, uh, you know, appearance, not yeah. getting imp- an impression by an appearance and judging that person by that. She's come to work with me mm-hmm. for years, so I, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of years, like, four in a row, five five in a row, she came and served Christmas dinner with me at yeah. Woodward's or whatever project I was working at on that time. And she always received people kindly. And that was really important to me that she was able to do that. Um, I think her biggest benefit was really just being raised in a punk house with <laughs> a whole bunch of different people. You know, we've probably had... 25 roommates over her short number of years Mm -hmm. and getting the experience of all of those different kinds of people who would you know blow bubbles and then shoot them with water guns or just the little (laughs) things that people would do with her you know like here's a screwdriver and a vcr why don't you go and play for three hours um (laughs) and she would (laughs) so just having different people around Mm -hmm. really helped her to see different personalities and be able to engage with people mm-hmm. on a different level than maybe someone who only had parents and school. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> I bet. Like, uh, that's the village came to the child. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And her confidence is astounding. Mm-hmm. Like her even more so than my own, where she just is so able to walk into a room and be comfortable no matter what the situation is. She'll go up. You know, if she got lost, well, someone did get lost when she went on a group thing to 
a giant soccer game at BC Place right. or something. And Quinn was like, okay, we need to do this. We need to call my mom. We need to call Anna. We are going to do this. And she's like the border collie of children. Like, she's just real practical. And... Is she going to be like the, the neighborhood babysitter, do you think? or I hope so. Yeah. Well, that's how she'll make that money that she wants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. when, she's <laughs> get that when she's 13, she's going to need a new uh, way to make some money. Get, that new, so. get on a new hustle, you know? <laughs> totally. Well, I actually, I got my, because uh, you can get your babysitting certificate through the Red Cross when you're 11. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Was I got that. And then uh, I was able to babysit, like, very small children. And then I was able to convince my parents, uh, I don't need to be in daycare anymore because I babysit other people's children now. And they're like, oh, shit, you got us. <laughs> the one time I got it over on them. I constantly tried to do business presentations to get what I wanted. And they'd always be like, it's an interesting proposal, but no. No, you cannot have a chinchilla. <laughs> they're like, oh, I guess you can look after yourself. And it'll save us a lot of money in daycare funds, so... Go to town. That's funny. Enjoy getting fat on pizza pops for the next four years, kiddo. Oh, babysitting rules. That's pretty great. (laughs) Till a kid pukes on you and then you make your mom come over and clean it up. Oh, that happened. Yeah, that happened. Don't let her get away with that. Just make her clean up the bar for herself. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. It's just like, I love hearing about other other people's parenting journeys just because like you know thinking about having my own kids and like what are the values that I want to bring in and it it really is like having a huge diverse group of friends that are like around and engaging with your kids like we had this jam last night and so there was the baby there there was a seven-year-old and a one-year-old and just like running around they were playing music with us like one of them just like fell asleep like under the table for a little bit Aww. one guy like the the oldest guy was like on the tambourine for a while or like on the bongos or on the piano and like Sweet. we let him play the drum kit downstairs like just being really part of the action right and like the baby was just getting passed around to everybody Aww. you know and so it's like i want them it's like we always make our events like kid friendly cuz like even if we're drinking wine and playing music like the kids can still be there they can and take a nap on the coats if they need to. Exactly. And then it's like they don't need the to be tables. they don't need to be excluded from those kinds of like real life activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like yeah. it. It's not just like they can only exist at their house or crash crawlies or whatever. Like kids can go a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. It's not always wise to bring them all places, no. but they're pretty they're pretty naturally resilient. Mm-hmm. Till we all screw them up. <laughs> they do pretty good until that point. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, man. Well, that's really cool. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. I feel positive. Yeah, that was really (laughs) enjoyable. I I mean, like, there was some really heavy stuff in there, but, like, maybe do you have any recommendations for our listeners if they want to be more involved and and create uh, effective change with uh, policy with the fentanyl crisis? I think that just standing up and being loud about humanizing drug users Mm -hmm. and not creating the shame Mm -hmm. around it and again it's not just people in the downtown east side but also knowing that if you're going to a party and someone busts open a flap and being that person that's like hey why don't you just do a little bit do you know where you got this from Mm -hmm. you know and being prepared for you know to take care of one another but just making the conversation accessible to everybody and not being afraid to piss people off by standing up and Mm -hmm. saying what you're doing, what you're saying is not right. Mm -hmm. And knowing knowing that you're going to (laughs) get, 
you know, shut down. Mm-hmm. But, but like, hopefully, like, if enough people are starting to get involved in this and like really starting to see that it would be a viable solution to like support people through their addiction, like, let's change that public opinion so that the government will do something about it. Yeah. So, like, the more people speak up and, like, write to their MLA is actually a very good thing to do. I read every email. I'll make sure that they get tabulated in our <laughs> advocacy tally. <Right. laughs> um, and then there's also, like, on the, I know, Vancouver Coastal Health website has, like, an interactive map of where you can access naloxone um, mm-hmm. and training. I think Fraser Health also has the same website. Um, so, yeah, you can, like get training through various places um, and access stuff through various places so great that's if people want to get involved there's like a like sort of a girl gang of like punk chicks that like do naloxone training at the black lab mm-hmm. I think like our some of our friends so there's some that it's like more for like party scene stuff and like how to do first aid response so that's another place to get training is like your local awesome punk collective <laughs> which is great yeah, take care of each other because God knows Christy Clark's not going to do it for us. <laughs> also just, yeah, clinics, pharmacies. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go into a pharmacy and buy Nar- a Narcan kit. and Yeah, you can go and buy a Narcan kit from a pharmacy. And then if they don't have it, you can ask that they stock it, I guess. Is yeah, the other thing. and you can ask the pharmacist to train you. I think that everybody having a Narcan kit is a utopic dream. It's... You know, they're having a hard time producing it fast enough, Mm -hmm. particularly the kits, if they get lost or whatever. Once the Narcan expires, it can't be used. Mm -hmm. Um, So having a kit that every person carries may not be the silver bullet in this. But, you know, not walking by someone if they look, you know, just taking that time to be like, okay... Are they breathing? Mm -hmm. And then being like, okay, it's fine. They're sleeping. Yeah, that's a huge thing. A lot of people just walk by folks. Like, I definitely take the time to, like, check in with people. And if someone tells me to, like, fuck off and mind my own business, it's like, okay, that's fine. I'm just, you know, glad you're alive. Yeah. Just checking. Like, I think that's totally fine. (laughs) Yeah. To, yeah. Let's care about each other. Mm -hmm. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do that crazy thing where we actually give a shit about whether people live or die. Yay. It's great. Okay. (laughs) I recommend it. Cool. (laughs) See you next time. See you next time. Bye. (laughs) Bye.